Hello and welcome back to another episode of 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One. I'm one of your co-hosts, Katie Carlisle, and I run a Squarespace web design and training business called The Wheel Exists. Hi everyone, my name's Michelle Pratt and I'm the owner of Dive Deeper Development and I run a personal development coaching and training business. And today we're going to be talking about three little words that send a chill through the heart of any freelancer. So you're working on a client project and it's all going well and then you get the dreaded question, could you just... And then inevitably, what sounds like a five minute task ends up taking hours. And so how do you protect your time whilst also keeping a good client relationship when somebody asks you if you could just help them out with something? So Michelle, well, I guess the first question is, should you do the work? If someone says, oh, could you just, should you or should you not? Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one, isn't it? I, I think... Whether you should do the work or not, I think it depends on a number of things. If it generally is a quick task, more often than not, I will do it. But I always think it's worth making sure that, that people know know that it's like kind of outside the scope. Or if it is generally as tiny, tiny, then I'd, I'd do it without just sort of questioning it. If it's something a little bit bigger, um, yeah, I'm getting better these days at saying no or adding, sort of raising the issue of time or money onto it. So uh, I think also it depends on the client relationship as well so it was a really tricky one isn't it Kate there's loads of different factors I guess the other one for me is whether there was any ambiguity about whether or not it was something I should reasonably be expected to do again I'm pretty clear laying that out as well but sometimes particularly when we have a good relationship as well as not not such a good relationship and our eagerness to please it can be really hard to uh, to get that right each time I think I know you get quite a lot of could you justs as well yeah, I think once you've established yourself as a trusted person in your client's eyes, it it tend to have, you tend to have a bit of a sort of scope creep sometimes. I think where um, you know just because I you know I, I've I've had clients where I've become oh Katie's the person that can wrangle technology, which to an extent is true, but that doesn't mean I'm an expert at everything. So I will get clients that then want me to help out beyond the scope of just website stuff with other technological aspects of their business. And that's quite tricky because then that does go beyond the scope of my expertise in some cases or just beyond the remit of what I want to do in other cases. Um, so I think for me in terms of whether, whether to, the question about whether to actually do the work, I think for me it's about being very honest with yourself about whether it is actually a quick task and sort of, you know, it's, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, this will be quite easy and very, you know, it'll be quite straightforward. But actually sometimes if you really think about it, you're like, mm, no, that could end up being a bit more involved. I think the other thing is to think about the precedent you're setting. So yeah, it might be really quick this time. So say it's something that's, you know, something you wouldn't normally do, but out of a gesture of goodwill, you're doing it. It might be five minutes this time, but then next time it could be 10 minutes, then time after that it's 20. And so I think it's about working out, is this something that's going to have a potentially negative impact in the future, even if it seems like just a small task? Yeah, that's that's true. Like you say, it could be a small task this time. And I can, you kind of, it's a balance because you don't want to be a martyr and go, oh, yes, I'll do this extra thing for you. But on the other, so it's, it's just to say, oh, no problem. But if you don't point out it is extra, it may, like you say, you may set a precedent and it may become something they expect you to do in future. And it comes very hard for you to say, actually, I've been doing this extra for you all the time. And I, th- I th- do think poor communication is... Um, 
the cause of it a lot of the time. The added dimension I have, Katie, that but you, you probably don't have as much is that I sometimes do, I do training work for my business, but I sometimes do training on behalf of other uh, consultancies or I work as an associate for someone else or do a collaboration. And if you get those, could you just questions from there, you don't, if I'm representing their brands, like if it's me, I have full ownership, but if I'm representing their organization, I don't want to be the person that says, oh, that's not my department or, uh, oh no, that's not a service we offer or they offer or you know I kind of have to find a way to tactically re- redirect it to the appropriate parts and I, for some reason I do like I say where I have ownership I find that a little bit easier but where another organization has the client relationship I, f- I find that a little bit tricky as well and I suppose the flip side of that again if you know other freelancers are in a similar situation to you is you also don't want to be the person that says yes of course I'll do that and then the next time somebody else is delivering a similar training course people are like oh well the previous trainer did it so yeah. why aren't you doing it yeah and end up actually making your life hard for somebody else so it is it is a bit of a balance I think um for me I think sometimes the the clients don't actually realize or know that what they're asking for is complex or you know could take away a lot of your time and I think that as freelancers it's our role to educate our clients yeah. to an extent it's not their, it's not their job bit. to know is it it's not their job to know these no. things exactly I think we sort of mentioned this a little bit in our um, episode about what we talked about bad in inverted commas clients in episode nine um where like it's actually just you know if you, if, I, I feel the same what I always think of myself right if if my clients seem a bit confused or if they're not sure what they're asking then it's like me with like a mechanic or a builder. Like I haven't got a clue what is a big job and what is a little job with that sort of thing. So if I'm having some like builders doing some work on my house, I wouldn't, I would hope that they would understand that I don't know, is it, you know, oh, is it easy to move that pipe over there? I've got no idea. So I might say, oh, could you just move the pipe over there? And I would hope that they would say to me, um, well, I hope that they wouldn't go, that'll cost you. But I hope that they would say to me, um, yes, you can do that, but here is the implication or here is the cost associated with it. And so I think that's what our role as freelancers is to an extent as well. It's to explain, okay, if you want to take on, if you're happy to do the task, I think you can do it in a way that isn't too martyry. So you can say like, um, oh yeah, I'm happy to do that. Just so you know, it will take me a bit of extra time, which means I might not be able to spend as much time on this or this or there might be an impact on something else so if it's something where you think actually that is my responsibility and maybe it's something you hadn't thought about when you were setting the scope or something then I think it's still fine to do it but I think it's okay to say to the client this isn't something that we discussed and therefore we just need to adjust the schedule accordingly yeah um is that kind of that's good that good consultancy skill is it of of never saying no you always say yes it's yes and here's the implication like you say so yes uh, yes you can do it um and it will uh, it will cost more money or yes i can but what would you like me to stop doing <laughs> uh, in its place or yes yeah. i can or what do we what do we deprioritize while we get this over the line so there's like nicer ways of saying it but you can always say yes it's just making sure that it, the, the implications of the yes are, are fully understood that way you can always show yeah. winning, which is which is a great way of doing it. Exactly. And I think the other thing to think about is why the client is asking in the first place. Like, especially if they're phrasing it as could you just. 
it might be that because something wasn't clear in the first place but it might be also that are, are they a bit scared or confused about something um so, so sometimes I get clients asking get kind of sort of slightly timidly saying like, oh could could you just do this for me and I think it's it's often because they're not really sure where they stand and they want to just kind of make sure that this thing is going to get done so I think some of it is managing not just expectations but like the practical side of it so like um Michelle you and I recently both bought houses I don't know if you had the similar experience but like even though I've done it before it was you know a few years ago and I kind of forgotten the process and I found it really stressful not knowing what was going to come next and then it felt like okay um today is the day when we'll be asked to provide all the information at very short notice, very urgently. And I just, and I wish that someone has sort of sat me down and said, okay, here's what's going to happen at which stage, because I think that can avoid a lot of, can you just stuff. So like I would chase my solicitor up who is actually really good, but I think it's that thing where once you've been doing a job for a long time and you get good at it, you almost forget not everyone has the same level of knowledge as you. So I would be chasing up, oh, could you just check on on this? Could you just check in on this? Could you just let me know where this is up to? And actually, if she'd have come to me and said, okay, here's where we're up to at the moment. Here's what you can expect to happen this week. Then that would have put me at ease and I wouldn't have been scared or worried or confused. It was all going to fall through. So I think thinking about how the client might feel and, and, and reassuring them and giving them an update can actually prevent them from chasing you up and ask or asking, oh, you know, could you just add this thing in? And, and if, you, if they know that that thing is going to get added in, then they're less likely to try and kind of panic about it. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I always had the other, our, our solicitors were really uh, sharp, really on it, but we kind of almost got the information that was almost too official, almost too much. So I was really good. It was really clear. We knew what was going to happen at each stage, but it, each letter felt like quite a lot to deal with. And I think sometimes people ask questions for that reason, or sometimes we overwhelm people or get too technical with the language. That can also give rise to questions and additional requests as well, if that's not clear. So we have to be a little bit careful of that. But but Katie, you were talking there about being the customer or being the client and being a little bit scared or intimidated. And I think sometimes when we get the could you just questions it's easy particularly if we're busy or on a short time scale for our own uh you know our own blood uh, pressure to rise and instantly we can think oh you know that's that's more work and and that's quite a natural response so the, these emotions rise in us um all we do at this point though is start to see things from our point of view and you've just described there as a customer feeling a bit of pressure and I think that sometimes our clients feel it too because when people come for websites or people come for training or coaching they're spending quite a bit of money now if they're working on behalf of a company they're spending quite a lot of someone else's money their employer's money and that budget spend will be scrutinized and sometimes the people briefing in or buying in the product or service they just don't know what they're buying and I think sometimes people are really scared that they'll have misspent the money or they've spent the money and they won't get the results and sometimes you know you know what it's like working for an organization most of us you've got your boss breathing down your neck about cutting costs about picking up speed about doing more with less and for some people that that is almost constant so when we get out of our own emotions and start thinking about the extra grief for us 
and start to focus on what's going on with that person, then we can start to have a much better conversation because that person is feeling pressure. And I know that how hard that is because sometimes when our clients feel that pressure, it comes out as snappiness, shortness, patronizing, being rude. But the more extreme the behavior, the more emotional that that behavior is. And and the thing that I've been asking myself is, right, is this person under pressure? Are they feeling their reputations on the line? Uh, You know, do they just have a terrible life? I don't know. But try not to take it personally. They're not trying to make your life difficult. They've just got stuff going on with them. Uh, Problems that they need solving. and, And we've been presented as someone who's going to solve it and and so I really think that's just about good communication but I think it's if you ever feel really angry at a client or frustrated I think just put yourself in their shoes for five minutes just try and visualize or work that out and I think you'll find your own emotions starting to wane a little bit and get to a much more rational place more quickly but it, it's hard to do sometimes yeah definitely because we're we're dealing with clients who've got their own emotional stuff going on and we've got our own emotional stuff going on and actually can you just doesn't even have to be that emotive but it can be something that that makes you feel a bit under pressure and yeah like kind of like you're saying that kind of tensing and stressing a little bit um especially if you don't know what the impact's going to be. So I sometimes have clients say, oh, could we just jump on a quick call to discuss something? And that call can end up being 45 minutes. And so that's something that I'm trying to get better at at the moment is to kind of decide whether a we need a phone call because I'm a, I am a you know Michelle you and I are both big fans of actually having either face-to-face or or video or phone call communication to clarify and avoid misunderstandings but actually sometimes a phone call can end up taking a long time sometimes I've got clients who are so lovely but it does mean that we end up chatting quite a lot and we end up deviating from work stuff which is nice sometimes because I think having a good client relationship is important but when you're busy it's really hard to then balance that. Um, so I think part of it is either trying to decide, is this phone call necessary? What are they wanting out of the phone call that they won't get out of an email? Is it that they, again, don't feel clear about something and they want to be able to talk it through? Um, you know, is it something where you can show them, like, could you do a little video recording to show them and talk them through something that'll take you five minutes to record that would avoid a 20 minute phone call? Um, or can you just set really clear boundaries for that call to say like, yeah, I'm happy to do a 15 minute call. I do need to be somewhere at the end of that and just be really clear at managing that that time and keep the call focused. Um, you know, I'm not saying set an agenda for it, but have some have the key points that you want to cover and make sure you set that out and say like, what do you want to get out of this call as well? Um, you know, find out what, if they say, can I have a call, find out why. If they say they want to have a meeting, I guess that's another one. Oh, could we just have a meeting? Meetings are obviously, uh, you know, can be a big drain on your your time and energy and resources. I have to say, I felt like I have a lot more time since I've moved to Anglesey because I'm not just conveniently around for meetings with clients as much because I still have a lot of clients in the sort of Manchester, Sheffield, Northwest area. Um, but actually stuff gets done just as easily by phone and Skype. And yeah. it just takes away that time of, of meetings. It's so, it's um, it. I do like a, yeah. I think I, I do like um remote work and how to manage remote people. I do training sessions on how to work remotely in a team. And there's I share some resources with people, which shows that people who work remotely quite often can actually be more productive than people who work face to face. And you're talking about meetings there, Katie. And the reason is that when you are close to someone or close to a client physically, if you bump into each other in the corridor or bump into each other at town, you take the you take 
take the time for granted. But when you only have 60 minute phone call, 30 minute phone call, that time has to be focused. So yeah, putting a bit of focus on that time you spend with clients, the quality as well as the quantity can help set the scene as well. Exactly. And I think it is just that balance between not being too like brusque and officious. Like, I mean, you know, if that's how you work, that's fine. If, if you're very business-like with your clients and you don't want to kind of share too much of yourself, that's fine. But if that's something you do want to do, it's just that balance of like making sure that, yeah, you, know, you do ask about their kids if that's something that's of interest to you and you helped build a good relationship. Um, but then maybe kind of decide when you're going to do that so it's on your terms. And if it's if it's a time when you're busy, then maybe don't you know say, oh, next time I'd love to hear about your kids or something so that they know you're still thinking about them, but that you have to go. Um, so I think there's ways to get around that while still having a good client relationship. Yeah. Um, and I think just honest communication as well, like yeah. explaining, actually, this is the impact it will have on me if I do this thing. And you could even say, yeah, I'm happy to do that. It will cost more. So I've had a, um, I sent out a quote yesterday for some work um, and the person came back and said, yeah, that sounds fine. Happy to go ahead. Are you, are you, are you also able to help me set this up and this up? So I'm like, okay, the, the kind of nice person in me wants to be like, yes, of course, I'd love to do this work. It's a project that I really want to do that I probably would have done for a bit cheaper. Um, and so part of me is like, yes, I'll do that. I'll include it in the price because she said she's on a tight budget. But then part of me is like, no, but that will take more time. And therefore I should say, yes, but that will cost extra. So I just need to weigh up the impact of, of saying yes and absorbing it into the cost in terms of them getting the work versus you know standing my ground and saying no um either no I'm not going to do this or yes I can do this but it will cost extra yeah and Katie you mentioned like um be you know being on good terms or that, that balance of the personal and professional that we've just I think we've discussed before with your clients but I do think it's even if you have a quite a friendly informal way of working through clients and I think that actually marketing and doing business through relationships is a great way of getting it done I think it's really important that there is some formality so I think we can come on to that into a second but I think um, there is a difference between a customer and a friend or a client and a friend and and sometimes those lines get blurred but I do think we absolutely need to set, spell things out and you don't have to be really officious about it like you say you don't have to start speaking in the third person and uh, using long words but I think there are a few things that need to be spelled up front and I think getting that communication right and recognizing you know where that line is and act, you know spelling stuff out can make life a lot easier if we do that up front rather than waiting till we get the could you just as well yeah, and I think just being direct as well. I think sometimes when we have the, when a client makes a request of us and it's something that we don't necessarily want to do, we have a tendency to be quite apologetic in how we say no. So it's kind of like, oh, could could you just do this? And they, they might be quite happy for the answer for that to be no. But we're like, oh, um, well, um, I mean, I could, but uh, it's maybe, oh, and, and I know it's such a, oh, well, I mean, uh, and you know, trying to almost avoid saying no. Um, and we did a whole episode about saying no um, yeah. in episode 17. Um, so there's more, if, if you struggle to say no, go and listen to episode 17 because we d dedicated a whole episode to it. Um, yeah. But I think sometimes actually just coming out and saying, actually, no, that's not something I can do, full stop, is enough. And then if they want more of an explanation, they can ask for it. But I think I, I know I have a tendency to do that is over explain why I can't do something. And quite often the clients don't actually care as much as we think. 
Yeah, I totally. I mean, I think if you went to to the mechanic and got a new belt put on your on your on your car engine, and then you're, oh, why are you there? Could you could, could you just change a tire? They'd quite. We'd expect them to turn around and go, uh, no, or yes, I can, <laughs> and it's going to change your price. We wouldn't quibble it. Yet when it's us, we seem to seem to feel like we need to apologise. And I'd like to say, as long as you do the education yeah. piece, people, I give I give people the choice. It doesn't have to be a flat no. Uh, if it's something you could do, or it's going to cost extra. You could just say, yeah, like you say, here's the application. How would you like to proceed and they can make the choice it doesn't it can all feel quite friendly yeah so let's have a think about that what what other practical things can we do if if we're if we're getting that can you can you just what are some of the practical things michelle that we can do yeah i'd like to share one that i use when i do training consultancy and uh one of the things uh, that i've been taught to do is to really agree the scope um, well uh, up front and actually capture this on paper which may sound over overly formal but it can be done through a, a conversation now when you do if you know anything about learning and development design and you may have come across this in other fields um we ha- have there's various evaluation models okay like kurt patrick um or phillips or whatever but basically it's really simple Uh, you're looking to understand what how people are feeling what they need to know at the end of the intervention so once i've delivered the service what will people know what will i physically see them do differently and actually what impact will that have on the business so what i tend to do with clients is to understand the problem as it is now on every level so um so understand what the practical problems are in terms of the knowledge gap or the technical solution understand the behavior that's the problem what we're going to do physically differently afterwards the impact on the business but also try and understand how the person is feeling Um, or what personal grief that is causing as well as business impact but really scope it out on all of those granular levels right now so instead of saying well it's not I, I understand the current problem then I kind of have a document where I do the other side and I try and get the desired solution in each of those so how do we want to feel where, where do we need to get to with the technical solution? What are we physically going to see or hear after this is in? And then what is the impact on the business? So you can put your specific measures, but you could also put the behavioural measures as well. Katie, for example, in a website, you might want certain functions to click or to work a certain way or to get people want certain response rates. But also you want people to behave around a website a certain way. So, But you also want people to feel something. Now, it doesn't really matter how you do this, but I think capturing that on a document, really, really granular on every level, what is the current state on every level? What is the desired state? And it helps you really easy map from one to the other. And what I tend to do is get the client to sign that off. So I say to them, have I understood the problem correctly, the current status? And they say yes or no, or they normally tweak it a bit. And then I say, have I understood the desired outcome? So at the end of the day, we're going to get to hear, is that correct? And they say, yes, it is. Or actually, can we tweak this? And what that does is it sometimes helps the client find form in their mind, either the problem or the solution, but maybe they hadn't really thought about it and it makes them reprioritize. But of course, the main thing is I can get sign off to say that we've agreed what we're going to do. And that makes it so easy to do the scope. So, you know, if, if we're working on time management training and it turns out it's not time management but it's actually employee engagement if people go oh could you just do a section on this it's like well look we agreed at the beginning the scope was this this is now going beyond you're creating something different do we need to sit down and talk about a different intervention so I know every freelancer will probably have a similar process I know you have your own uh, agreement you do up front Katie but something in writing that says do I understand the problem can we agree the scope of the solution how many iterations how many goes are we going to get at getting this right and kind of 
cementing that up front and if you do have a good informal relationship with the client that might seem only formal but I would suggest that clients find that really reassuring one that you've understood the problem so well because I, I find they love it they're like yeah oh my god you've absolutely nailed it that's exactly where we are and they're dead impressed but it also means you're really clear on what you're aiming for and it and the scopes are slightly to 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 creep I mean Katie you must use something similar yeah, I mean, I have a contract that I send out, but that is a little bit more formal. It's it's kind of it's it's written in fairly friendly, nice language, and and I think it's so. So one aspect of that is is explaining the responsibilities, but I'll always go through. I won't go through the con- contract with the client, but I'll highlight some of the key points there. So, for example, um, it's you know my responsibilities are to deliver the work to the deadline, but the client's responsibilities are to provide the content I need to create the website. And actually there's an impact if they aren't able to get that information to me in time. So I think also highlighting what the client's responsibilities are so that they understand, again, they feel more involved with the situation and they've got it clear in their mind what they need to do when, because a lot of times with clients, they don't realize that they actually have to do quite a lot of work when they're doing a website. You know, there are a lot of people like, oh, a website, okay, we'll pay someone to do that and that'll be sorted. But you really need the input from the client, you know, you need to understand more, you need to understand their customers, you need to understand what they're wanting the website to do. Um, They need to copy, they need to provide feedback, they need to like at least sign off imagery um, if they're not even providing it themselves. So I think yeah, I think I'd like to kind of go through and highlight to clients what what our responsibilities are so that we all have a sort of shared ownership of it. And I think that helps. And again, yeah, reduces the, the can you just stuff because we, we're quite clear on where we stand. Um, the other thing that I tend to do is when I have um, an initial call with somebody, which I guess is the scoping, uh, that my, that's my kind of informal scoping call. Um, I will then follow it up with, just like you say, Michelle, here's what I have understood and here is how I plan to approach it and here is a time scale of how I plan to approach it. And then say, is this right? And then, yeah, they can come back and go, oh, actually, no, this isn't right. And that, no, that isn't that. Or, yeah, exactly, perfect. Um, so I think, yeah, setting that clear scope and not so that you can be a jobs worth and say oh well actually a paragraph three appendix c i said i was going to do this it's like but but just so that you have something to protect both parties yeah. interests it- and so because so, it's protecting the client's interests as well so they can say well actually you did say you were going to do this and you haven't so please can you yeah and I think it gives people reassurance and, and if you've not worked this way before then it might and, and I think a lot of people do but if you haven't worked this way before you might you might think that's overly formal but actually clients find it really reassuring actually and like you say we talked about that certainty especially if they have to report to other people but I think it also um makes them feel a bit more in control and you can agree I mean you know like it's like we do a training session at the workshop you agree the house rules it's just kind of this thing that you yeah. do you would do it at the beginning of a meeting as well you know you just agree how you're going to work together and I think that's it's just good practice it's good communication and it keeps everybody in the loop I think the other thing it does it it might like you say some people do worry particularly if they've started quite a small business or they're um, a sole trader that it, like it's a bit too corporate but actually what that does in the mind's eye of your client or customer is just make you look super professional so again if I when we went to our solicitors for the house buying process we were told okay here's the, here's the steps 
here's the things you've got to do if you went to any other kind of professional if you went to you know the, the doctor's surgery they tell you the process for getting stuff done if you went to a physiotherapist they would tell you how you're going to interact and engage you would expect to sit in the waiting room you'd expect to have the consultation you'd expect to have the the, the way of working laid out for you so this just raises your professionalism up to another level i say that because not every um small business or freelancer has a terms of business so katie did you get yours off the internet did you buy a bespoke one i did i got mine off the internet i've not had yeah i've not had a an actual lawyer draw mine up um but i found what i basically found somebody who had shared some that was the closest to my business model as possible and so i I use those but they haven't been legally verified so there's probably some people listening now who are like oh my goodness she doesn't have official legally drawn up personalized terms and conditions but it says what it needs to say I think that's you know um it's it it covers I've not yet found any eventuality that I couldn't have referred back to the contract I think that's yeah actually this covers it I think it's the main thing, isn't it? I think something in writing is better than nothing in writing. So um, I, I know I'm part of a group and, and I think the lawyer in that would say, have your own bespoke one. It may not protect you. But even if you start off with, even if you just write down what your terms and conditions are, here's the numbers you can call me on. Here's when you can contact me. Here's where not to contact me. Even that in an email or agreeing that before you start is better than nothing. So um, as you grow in professionalism, you can, you can add those extra bits of paperwork in. Um, but in the meantime, just setting out your store i think is can avoid the scope creep in the first place that could you just could you just and then of course outline penalties do you have penalties for people who don't um who don't return stuff back to you or delay your because if i suppose your project's delayed your invoicing is delayed yeah um i don't at the moment i i have i have um a clause around if you get it to me late there will be an impact on your project and when that goes live um I have in the past, when a project has been delayed, I have said to the client, look, this has gone on significantly longer and I've done, I've done everything at my end. Can I please invoice? So normally I invoice half at the beginning and half at the end. So on a couple of projects where it has dragged out, I've said, look, um, you can see that I've done more than 50% of the work now. And I appreciate we're not live yet, but can I invoice another 25%? And I've never had anyone have a problem with that because they feel quite bad for making it drag on so long. So yeah, I, I haven't got a formal clause, but I have asked to do that in the past. Yeah, I, um, yeah. I know quite a few people who have yeah, have those. I do. I have had those. I do know people who have those. They may not evoke them half the time because they can normally sort it out verbally, yeah. but it's in there, I suppose. Sorry, Katie, go, go on. No, I was just going to say, I have actually done it with a couple of clients as well, where I've invoiced the full amount before the end of the project again if it's been going on for a while um and you know but look i i think when you've got that level of when they have the level of trust in you to know that you're not going to just run off and leave them hanging once they pay you then i think they're quite happy to to pay that invoice but i actually i don't like having the invoice paid and then having to do the work at the end of it i like knowing that when i finish the work i get the money, money. comes in whereas if an invoice has been paid earlier then i'm like i'm still doing the work but then i don't get a shiny pot of gold at the end of this rainbow so yeah motivation wise it's, it's a good it's a good way to way to do it <laughs> okay, we, we talk about this other way because we say because i think in the moment you don't i don't specify how many iterations or how many reworks get done normally with my training design work 
you're up against a deadline. So the client's never going to prolong it because they won't hit their deadline if they keep going round and round again. So they get quite pragmatic very yeah. quickly. Yours could drag on, I suppose, if, if there's no urgency around the launch. And we were saying, do you specify the number of reworks in there? And I, we do. We kind of, I don't think either of us do at the moment, but we were saying it's something that maybe could could be beneficial. Yeah, I think I've always shied away from specifying a number of iterations because I don't want to get to five iterations and the client's still not happy. And then we'll, I'm like, oh, well, that's your lot. Like my most of my business is through referrals. So it's in my interest for the client to be really, really happy with the end result. So for me, if that means I need to do more iterations, like I kind of take responsibility for for, for the number of iterations to an extent. Uh, you know, if if it if I'm not if I'm not kind of getting what they need, that's a little bit on me. Yeah, to yeah. start with, at least. Yeah. Um, I have I did have one client where it just got ridiculous, and in the end, I said, "This is kind of it, and I need to charge you more as well for the extra work." And they understood because they they sort of they kept changing their minds about what they wanted, and they understood that, and so. Again, I was just very upfront and said, "Look, I've been really, I've been really flexible, and I've done all these changes, but I think we just need to stop, and and kind of maybe take a step back and um, and, and kind of review this. Um, and in the end, what I, I what I actually said was, "Look, I think it's become a little bit like kind of Frankenstein's monster, and that it's it's sort of." started off but then we've, we've just we've tweaked this and we tweaked this and we tweaked this and we tweaked this and actually it's got to something that neither of, the, neither of us is that happy with let me go back to the drawing board on it and bring you a new design um I think you'll really you know I think you'll be much happier but it will cost a bit extra and she was really happy to do that and in the end when I, when I came back to her she was like oh yeah this is exactly what I wanted but I couldn't articulate it and so I think sometimes you know thinking about can you just I think as, as a professional, people are hiring you for your knowledge and your skills and your experience. I think sometimes it's okay to push back and say, actually, no, and it's not because of time or money. It's because this isn't the right decision for you or for your business or for your website. So they might say, oh, can you just like make that font bigger or can you just change it to Comic Sans? And I'd be like, no, no, I can't. Um, so I think sometimes it's, it's about saying, actually, in my professional opinion, that is not the right decision to make. Um, and that's, generally met fine you know there might be something where the client goes oh I know but I want to do it anyway and I'm a bit like okay I have you know you're you're you know leaving against medical advice but it, at the end of the day it's your choice if, if yeah. you feel very strongly about it I have I have said that I do not recommend it um but it's your choice um but that's very rare I've only had that happen once or twice yeah and that's where the scoping document, I think, or some kind of written, you know, understanding of the the outcome, I think, really helpful because you can go back to it and say, look, we've done so many tweaks. It's not the same thing that you asked for in the beginning. So let's go back and yeah. check. I, I think I understood what you wanted to get to. Have your needs changed? Have your circumstances changed? And you can always go back and renegotiate. The world might have changed since you spoke to them last, but at least it gives you something exactly. to, to go back to and reference. Um, and yeah. And I've I've worked for I've I've worked for a large company and I've been that internal person having to work with the external provider and I'm sure I've had to really drive some people crazy. So sorry if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so funny when you are the client of something. Um like 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 when I we're, we're having a bit of work done on our new house and we have got an architect to draw up um plans for a little extension, like a to add a utility on. And um 
and yeah, I really was conscious about being the client there. And like, and I was like, you know, he, he'd give some initial drawings and I'd be like, oh, actually that's, that's what I thought I wanted, but now I've seen them, I don't like them. And I was like, oh my God, that's what my clients do to me. Uh, so it was actually, it's really interesting. If you can put yourself in a position where you're the client or you're the customer, it's so valuable as an insight because it makes you go, oh, that's why they behave that way. Yeah. Okay. So I would say try and put yourself in that position if you can. You know, obviously don't, you don't have to spend like thousands of pounds on a house extension. Um, but, but you know, try and put yourself in that position. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's, it's really helpful. It's, it's so true. And you, you can really understand it. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, could you just, is a pain. But sometimes the client won't know what they want until you put something on the table. And I think most of us know that sometimes you've got to put something out there, even if it's the client turning around and saying, no, sorry, that's the wrong thing. Um, they, you yeah. won't know it's the wrong thing because you've done some work. So it is just an occupational hazard. Um, thinking about it, I was going to say on that on that once, Katie, I've got like um, just a tip. So it's a bit um, one of the things we do with coaching people or, or one of the things we do with stakeholder management with 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 clients and, and people on courses. Talk about what so how someone is convinced. Um, now you, you can find this in NLP, you can find it in other places, um, but to really know your stakeholder you know your client and to understand how they tick and one of the things that I thought was quite interesting I was asked well try and see if you can gauge how somebody is convinced that you've delivered the job so see if you can understand so a really good question you could ask up front is how will you know when you've done a good job so when I hand the work to you what will make you look at it and go uh yeah that was brilliant you know what was it that will tell you yes we're done now that might might sound like a bit of a coachy question but um kind of when I was doing the and course they were saying well check that someone's system for being convinced some people are automatically convinced and they'll say yes that's it whatever you do they're just like yep yeah, good i'll take your word for it it's like some people will be convinced if they see something a number of times so once you've done something two or three times they trust you then they're more likely to be convinced by you some people need a period of time once they work for you for a month or two or a few weeks then they trust you but then some people are never ever convinced no matter what you do that's their default position in life no matter what anyone does and what they do they are they just will not be convinced so something you can do as a freelancer in order to uh, understand your client and the could you just is to see if you can get a gauge or get some clue up front as to what convinces them of something because if you get the sense that they're never convinced by anything ever then you may want to stick a number of iterations on uh, or just accept that nothing you do will be good enough. On the other hand, if you get the impression that someone, you know, just needs a little bit of time or needs to be convinced over a period of time, that'll give you a clue as to what it will take. So a little, a little it's a bit of a skill, but it's a little tip, but I do find that's really helpful. <laughs> that's a really good idea. And yeah, you could, you, you don't have to phrase it, I guess, as how will you be convinced? No. But it's, you know, yeah, like, how, like, like you say, how will you know when the, when the job's done or what does, yeah, like the kind of the very business phrase. What does success look like to you? Yeah, something less wanky than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think the other thing is about who's taking responsibility for what as well. Yeah. But yeah, like who who's responsible for what? And I know Michelle, you mentioned there was like a a, a little kind of acronym that can yeah, like help with that. just races. You were saying who's do, who's providing the content, who's signing off the pictures, that kind of thing. If you don't know it already, racy. if you Google racy R A C I, some people change the letters around to make it R C. That also works. But basically, it stands for responsible. So who's doing the work? accountable who's signing off the work consulting so literally who do you just consult but you and take um their information from them but they're not a decision maker and also 
I is informed. So who who should you keep in the loop, even though they don't have any influence on the project? So again, if you've got multiple people, or if you are working with an organisation where a number of different people involved, maybe they've got a graphic designer, maybe they've got a content writer, maybe they've got the project manager, then just see if you can cut down. Google Racer, you'll find it, but see if you can establish who is responsible for what, so you're going to the right person who's the decision maker and who simply just needs to be kept in the loop um again that can save a lot of a lot of hassle up front and make sure the person really is the decision maker for the stuff that you're doing and watch out for for side ones i did a bit of design work once which i agreed with the the project manager who works for the client uh, and there was another more senior guy that was going to be involved in the work but he wasn't giving me the brief and he wasn't signing off the material so I thought but then it turns out he went away and just came up with his own design work because he was bored in a hotel one night <laughs> and I kicked myself it's like he wasn't officially a stakeholder but if I'd have done that racy chart I would have seen that he was of someone of considerable influence who probably him. needed to be kept in the loop so it wasn't kind of my fault but equally I kind of maybe could have headed it off at the pass with a bit of thought of that up front yeah i now have a a section in my um website brief document which is about who has to sign off and be involved in the project um because i've had it before where i've had um you know doing a website for a small business where the where the manager has entrusted the marketing person to manage the website design. And I've met initially with the manager, um, but they've said, oh, but you're gonna, but, but we're gonna hand everything over to the marketing person. They're gonna manage it. I'm, I trust them completely. They'll do a great job. So, you know, me and the marketing person working together, get a website that we're both really happy with. Um, they've said, yep, yeah, fine, happy to sign it off, ready to go live. Um, then the manager's like, oh, I'll just take a look. And then goes, oh, that's not what I wanted at all. Oh, this God. is, this is terrible. And, and so it's, and, and then, and then of course it's back to the drawing board. And again, with that project, I said, look, you trusted the marketing person. I delivered what the marketing person asked for. We're, I'm happy to redo it, but you will need to pay more. Yeah. Um, but now to, have, but, but I didn't want to do that. Like we were really happy with the website. I didn't really want to change it at that stage. Um, and so, you know, part of it was like, okay, what's what's not working for you? Is it something simple? Um, is it just that you weren't really involved in the process? But I think it was just more like that they, they hadn't actually communicated to the marketing person what their vision was clearly enough. Um, so now I have a section that says, yeah, is there anyone else who needs to see this before it goes live? And even if they're not going to be involved in most of the process, I know to make sure, okay, they need to see it at various stages. They just, we can't wait till the end. Yeah. And again, I have a document that I have for that. And I have like, who are the, who is the, who is the, who is the sponsor? Who's the person like your, your person who's trusting the market manager? Who is the person who's providing the sign off for each different thing? And all of this is captured, you know, on a, on a, on a document. And I would actually, I capture it for my own knowledge, but I also capture it and maybe get the client to sign it. So again, you can make this yourself and if you're learning from experience certain things to check maybe capture it and make your own document i think that would be be really useful just yeah just i suppose you get older and wiser the more more you do yeah exactly i think you know we've talked about um uh, failure in one of our uh, earlier episodes i think it was episode six and actually if you mess something up once then you'll probably not make that same mistake again and so yeah you'll learn from the times when you have gone yes of course I can just blah 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 um and, and you know not not do that again yeah um so Michelle have you uh, you know I, know I know we like to kind of have one idea or takeaway at the end of each episode that if we just had to do one thing 
to help with this freelance problem what would you do so what would yours be i think for, for me it is put yourself in the in the client's shoes and understand what's going on on their world not just on a practical level but what pressures are they personally under and kind of just appreciate that you know they're coming from their point of view and that your job is to educate them and to to hold their hand like you say you have the expertise it's your job to to bring them with you i think katie because we see people don't we in forums and and groups moaning about clients just being you know really awkward it's like mm, it's kind of kind of your job to kind of understand that as well yeah yeah it's when they expect clients to just know as much as they do about something and it's like no that's the reason they're paying you yeah. so like they if they if they knew how to do it themselves then they wouldn't need to pay you um and you yeah I think for me it would be um I think just be really open and direct with clients um that's what I found works the best um I know for me as well um just as a side if if someone kind of asks me something that's like a change to what I was expecting I'll freak out for about two minutes and then I'm fine so I think just knowing how you react to something as well so if someone says oh could you just do this my first instinct is yeah panic so I try not to respond straight away I give myself a couple of minutes if I'm on the phone and they they sort of ask oh could you just I'll say um let me have a look at it and I'll come back and let yeah. you know buy some, because buy that some gives time. me time to process it yeah. yeah so then I'm like okay is this actually terrible or am I just freaking out? Um, and I, t- and I, try, I, t- I try and be upfront with clients that sometimes I will be like that as well. So they know it's not, you know, personal. Um, but I think my, yeah, what's worked best for me, I think is just being really honest with them and saying like, um, it's something I, that's within my skill set, but it's not something that I would be the best at doing. Or um, yes, I can do this. However, it will take a bit of time. Um, I'll do it this once but if we have to do it again then I'd need to charge you or just just be really honest about it there's ways to say yes or no but protect yourself and the client so that's what I'd say as always we also want to hear what works for you guys so we now have a twitter handle at 99 problems cast as in podcast so it's the number 99 problems cast so we'd love to hear your tips or tricks on how to deal with these can you just requests and also if there's any other problems that you'd like us to talk about in the future let us know um obviously if you want to keep up to date with these episodes please do subscribe wherever you listen to the podcasts and we'll see you next time for 99 problems but a boss ain't one